We are back. We'd like to talk about passings of notable people at the top of our third segment, and that would be now. And uh, during the past week, we uh, observed the, the passing of former Defense Secretary Casper Weinberger, who passed away at age 88. Cap Weinberger uh, was the Defense Secretary under Ronald Reagan, and he certainly is an appropriate subject to discuss a little bit uh, in the wake of... Uh, well, our previous discussion and, and President Eisenhower is talking about the meshing of a huge industrial and military machinery with peaceful methods and goals. When, uh, when Ronald Reagan was swept into power, there was an effort to uh, realign our, uh, our, our national goals on a, on a, in a big way. Casper Weinberger was instrumental in uh, the great defense buildup of the Reagan years. His obituaries note that he was an indefatigable fighter for peace through strength, but he frequently clashed with Secretary of State George Shultz during the Reagan years, whose viewpoint on Weinberger was that uh, our forces are to be constantly built up, but not used. In the view of Radio Parallax, Casper Weinberger was quite a counterproductive leader at the Pentagon. He doggedly opposed reducing nuclear weapons, and after expressing complete initial skepticism about the rather harebrained notion of a strategic defense initiative, when he saw the sums of money that were involved, he quickly signed on. I don't know the exact sum that we wasted on uh, throwing it down uh, this rat hole of an SDI stupid, never-will-work defense system, but I'm sure it's well over 100 and probably approaching $200 billion. When he stepped down in 1987, uh, Reagan presented him with the Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor a president can give. But years after leaving, he was indicted in the Iran-Contra Arms for Hostages scandal. In 1992, he was indicted by the special prosecutor charged with lying during congressional and criminal investigations of Iran-Contra. Before Weinberger went to trial, one of his last acts as president, President George Herbert Walker Bush granted pardons to him and several others in the Reagan administration who had also been indicted by Lawrence E. Walsh, Iran-Contra Independent Counsel. The, uh, the story about uh, Weinberger as defense secretary and uh, what, what the Reagan administration set out to do and what they actually did, which are two very different things, uh, is best told in The Triumph of Politics, the inside story of the Reagan Revolution by David A. Stockman. Stockman directed the Office of Management and Budget under Reagan and was supposedly the boy wonder that knew what all the numbers meant. Uh, Stockman, of course, reveals in his, uh, in his book that he had a pretty good idea what some of the numbers meant, but he was hardly the, uh, the genius he was made out to be by the press. Curiously, uh, when the Office of Management and Budget, the OMB, was first established, one of the first people that ran it was Casper Weinberger. He was so adept at cutting the great society programs of Lyndon B. Johnson at the behest of Richard Nixon that he was given the nickname Cap the Knife. The nickname, stuck on him by William Sapphire, then a presidential speechwriter, uh, stuck. I want to take a minute to, to excerpt from Stockman's book. We need to get, we need to get David Stockman on this program as a guest. Uh, uh, we're, we're going to try and do that. But um, uh, the following exchange actually earned an Esquire magazine Dubious Achievements of the Year Award back in 1982. Stockman is describing how he is trying to get them to cut the budget. He, that's his job. He's trying to you know, implement the Reagan Revolution. We're going to cut government back. 
However, Caspar Weinberger, who was the salesman for the defense industry, understood Reagan's psyche a little bit better than Stockman did. And when they both went in to brief the president, they were at cross purposes. According to Stockman, Weinberger's briefing was a masterpiece of obfuscation. Incredibly, he'd brought along with him a blown-up cartoon. It showed three soldiers. One was a pygmy who carried no rifle. He represented the Carter budget. The second was a four-eyed wimp who looked like Woody Allen carrying a tiny rifle. That was me, question mark, the OMB defense budget. Finally, there was G.I. Joe himself, 190 pounds of fighting man, all decked out in helmet and flak jacket and pointing an M60 machine gun menacingly at me again? This imposing warrior represented, yes, the Department of Defense budget plan. It was so intellectually disreputable, so demeaning, that I could hardly bring myself to believe that a Harvard-educated cabinet officer would have brought this to a president of the United States. Did he think the White House was on Sesame Street? He had even more of these goodies, but someone pointed out that he had almost quadrupled his allotted time. I suggest you read about the whole uh, the whole episode yourself in The Triumph of Politics. And oh, by the way, guess who won when it came to swaying the president as to which budget to adopt? And this, of course, explains why it is the Defense Department under Weinberger increased defense spending by 50%, adding 90 ships to the Navy, two divisions to the Army, as well as the B-1 bomber and other new weapon systems to the Air Force. We had to do this, it was reasoned at the time, because the Soviet Union represented an unbelievable threat to the security of the United States. As in fact, it turned out, the Soviet Union collapsed (laughs) shortly after the Reagan years, like a drunk on the sidewalk. I know there are those who believe that uh, the Reagan massive defense buildup uh, was responsible for the collapse of the Soviet Union. This includes uh, my good friend Misha, who... uh, who showed me around Moscow uh, one day back in 1990, well, actually several days back in 1991, a very interesting experience. Indeed, uh, Misha firmly believes that Reagan's effort to outspend the Russians caused the Soviet economy to implode. I still don't see how. Whether you uh, agree with what he did, uh, and, and I certainly don't, Caspar uh, Weinberger did have an interesting life. He, uh, at, at Harvard, where he got a, uh, his bachelor's and law degree, he was editor of The Crimson, which is the college's daily newspaper, and at various times he moderated a public affairs program on a San Francisco television station, wrote a newspaper column, did a radio commentary, and was a member of the California Assembly back in the 1950s. And another member of the Reagan team also passed away this week, Franklin Lynn Nofziger. Nofziger joined the Reagan team, uh, trying to make him governor in the summer of 1965 and advised him throughout the rest of his political career. He served uh, for two years as the Reagan press secretary. He's described as an irascible and raucous man who often sported Mickey Mouse ties and other colorful apparel. Nofziger was so irreverent at times he was considered ill-suited in the job of White House press secretary. When he launched a website in 2004, he said, I'm a Republican because I believe that freedom is more important than government-provided security. Sometimes I wish I were a Democrat, because Democrats seem to have more fun. At other times, I wish I were a Libertarian, because Republicans are too much like Democrats. 
What I actually am is a right-wing independent who's a registered Republican because there isn't any other place to go. He does have some good quotes. He said uh, that uh, back there when Reagan first began governor, I had to rid him of four basic misconceptions. That right will always triumph in the end. That there's such a thing as a presidential draft. That the cavalry will arrive at the last minute to save the day. And that God cares who is president of the United States. When he left the White House after only two years to become a lobbyist, he said he was tired of attending staff meetings and remarked, I don't like government. Some do, some don't. It's like spinach. And I think we should also note the passing of country legend Buck Owens. Buck Owens' base of operations was here in Bakersfield, California. His career was one of the most phenomenal in-country music. He had a string of more than 20 number one records, mostly released from the mid-60s to mid-70s, recorded with a honky-tonk twang that came to be known as the Bakersfield sound. When, uh, when I was a student here at this great university, my roommate brought home a Buck Owens album one time. <laughs> I looked at him like he was nuts, and he said, no, no, you got to hear this. So he put, on the, put the record on the turntable, and uh, opened up with Buck Owens's I Wouldn't Live in New York City If You Gave Me the Whole Dang Town. And no, I'm sorry to report, though I tried to get it on iTunes, I was not able to, uh, to get an excerpt of that for your listening pleasure, but may- maybe we'll get it on next week. Another pretty funny guy, Buck Owens. We're, we're sorry that he's gone. And from the What's This Guy Gonna Do Next file, we have our final item of the day. North Korean dictator Kim Jong-il apparently is letting it be known that uh, North Korea has the ability to launch a preemptive nuclear attack on the United States. This is according to the North Korean official news agency. We are somewhat skeptical here at Radio Parallax because as far as we know, when sunset falls in North Korea, there appears to be no operational electrical grid per satellite photos. Yes, but the man who, according to the uh, according to the Central News Agency of North Korea, the man who scored 11 holes in one the first time he went out to play a round of golf, um, <laughs> thinks it's a wise idea to wave a nuclear saber at the United States. According to our limited research into uh, nuclear proliferation, we suspect that North Korea, well, might have an A-bomb and might have a missile capable of hitting Guam. But we would note, thankfully, that we probably don't have a great deal to fear from the North Korean nuclear arsenal. And I should note, of course, the opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But you knew that. Our thanks again to Eugene Jarecki, the director of Why We Fight. It's a film I think all of you, dear listeners, um, should take in. On next week's program, we will have Christine Todd Whitman, the director of the Environmental Protection Agency in the first two years of the George W. Bush administration. The former New Jersey governor has a book out called It's My Party Too, wherein she expresses the need in this country for the GOP to move to the center. 
Governor Whitman will join us next Thursday at 5 o'clock. We hope you will join us too. This has been Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. This program has been produced by Edward McMillan. I understand now that uh, Todd's show will be taken over by our own general manager, Stephen Valentino. Stay tuned for that. And uh, this may give us a chance to straighten out this little matter uh, from a few weeks back about the Radio Parallax Drama Theater, uh, our presentation of Bart McClure, Frontier Sissy. We think it's breaking some uh, some new ground in the wake of uh, of the Brokeback Mountains uh, run at the Oscars, and I I think we'll we'll be able to clear this up, you know, in short order. Mm-hmm.